RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 309, The Collaborator. Welcome in the Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week, we watch a show set in the Star Trek universe, examining it for ideas and ideals, and seeing whether it all holds up today. This week, The Collaborator. The one with more than one collaborator. Our old friend Beryl is back, as is our old enemy, Wynn. Two Vedic Center, one comes out Kai... Who, what, where, when, huh? Stay tuned and find out. John's got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first! But first! I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Uh, Lots of returning stars this week, John. Not a two-parter. I don't know how trivia is going to go. Please, won't you regale us? Well, here we go. Today's episode, The Collaborator, has a story by Gary Holland. Now, his original story idea had uh, many differences, uh, but the key one here, in fact, is that the focus was solely to be on the old Bajoran returning home from Cardassia, and Kira would have ended up investigating him. So, (laughs) things changed. That brings us to the teleplay. All right, the teleplay is by Gary Holland, along with Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolfe. I'm going to point out something very specific here that you may have noticed if you uh, watch the credits into a TV episode. might seem pretty obvious here, but that ampersand is important. So you have a teleplay by Gary Holland and, written out A&D, Ira Stephen Bear, ampersand, Robert Hewitt Wolf. So this is a WGA thing, and it's a rule that's kind of important to understand because it actually explains a little bit about how the episode was developed. So Gary Holland had this original idea. He pitches the story. He writes the script. But the two people who worked later on that script and worked together were Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. So watching those credits can sometimes give you a clue to how it developed and who developed it. Gary basically had the first hand at it, but Ira and Robert were the ones who took it and ran with it and really put their stamp on it. So it was those two who developed the story, and particularly the story of the Vedics and what happens next with them. And guess what? They had originally decided that Vedic Burial was their man. Yeah, yeah, the good guy could have won. But then they really started to think about how to build and sustain drama over time with their built-in villain. 
Hence, well, we'll just have to see what happens with Vedic Win. Today's episode was directed by Cliff Bull. Of course, Cliff is a longtime TNG director with 25 credits to his name there. Previously on DS9, we discussed his work on Cardassians. Uh, Cardassians is the episode, not the people, necessarily. Uh, and he will be back for a few more episodes before jumping over to Voyager. Incidentally, since we've been overlapping with TNG, if you go by strict production order and air date order, it's worth pointing out that this episode of DS9 originally aired May 22nd, 1994. The next episode of TNG to air was on May 23rd, 1994, and that episode was All Good Things. So we're coming to the end of that overlap in production, and we're just two episodes away from the end of season two of DS9. Now, let's talk about those guest stars. Of course, we have some familiar returning guest stars. Philip Anglim is back as Vedic Burial, and the great Louise Fletcher returns as Vedic Wynn. And we do have, in particular, a prominent guest player this week, too. Bert Remsen plays Kubus Oak. Now, he had a long, varied career. He actually served on a destroyer in World War II and started his acting career in live theater, as many people of his generation did. He appeared in TV and film roles starting in the early 50s. He broke his back in an on-set accident in the 60s and thought he would have to retire from acting. He did a few voice acting roles and transitioned into being a casting director, but soon enough, he was healed and back in front of the cameras again. So many roles on cool shows. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Route 66, The Outer Limits, Wonder Woman. I mean, that's just to name a tiny, tiny fraction of what he did. He even had a small part in Dick Tracy. Burt passed away in 1999, and this is his only Trek appearance. Prologue. Vedic Burial is tripping orbs. Prologue. Coming in from the stroll, Vedic cool priest. You can call him Burial. He's a bit disoriented. Things are hazy. Screens are fuzzy. There's a dead guy hanging from a catwalk. Burial asks Kira Norris, busy playing handball, to help him cut the body down. Burial identifies the man as Pryler Back, but Kira says it's not Pryler Back. It's Burial himself. Turns out this isn't real, or not physical anyway. It's a vision, given to Burial by one of the orbs. Doesn't make it less creepy. Act 1. Up on Deep Space Nine, Kira and Burial are having grown-up time. They talk about him sticking around, but that's silly. Brile's about to be elected Kai. I mean, he might not be, but he looks like a shoe-in, especially because everybody knows he was Kai Opaka's choice to replace her. Brile says he could never replace Opaka. Without her, Bajor wouldn't have made it through the Cardassian occupation. And now, back to grown-up time. Later, on the promenade, Brile and Kira bump into Vedic Wynn. A few barbs about interpretation of the wisdom of the prophets, accusations by Kira of malfeasance on the part of Wynn, jibes that Burial's not Kai yet and anything can happen. Good times. 
Not far away, an old Bedroan man strolls the promenade. He soon recognized as Kubus Oak, a man who worked for the Cardassians during the occupation. The people on the promenade quickly build to an angry mob size, big enough to attract the attention of Odo. Acknowledging that he had lived on Cardassia, Kubus says he decided it was time to go home. Odo decides he'll be going to a holding cell first. Being led away, Kubus exchanges a knowing look with Vedic Wen. Act 2. A group of Vedic stands around offering blessings on the new Kai, Burial. But the shears are being led by Vedic Wen, so you know this has to be a dream or something. Oh yeah, there's Kai Opaka, telling Burial to be strong, then bidding him to follow her. He argues that he doesn't deserve to walk her path, but she says he must. It's his destiny. Then he's given a gift from the prophets by Pryler Beck. It's a snake. No, wait, it's a noose. No, wait. It was all another vision from the orb. Back in Odo jail, Odo's sort of taunting Kubus, while Kubus makes the case for his collaboration with the Cardassians. Without him acting as liaison between Bajor and the Cardassians, Kubus says things could have been a lot worse. Also, he seems sorry, which does not impress Kira, who's wandered into the conversation. Kubus says he wants to go home. Kira says he can't. That's Bajoran law. He makes an impassioned plea, and as far as Kira's concerned, he can go have grown-up time with himself. In Ops, Vedic Wind has stopped by to see Commander Sisko. They still don't like each other, but he is emissary, and she is a religious leader, one who says she now sees the need for Bajors joining the Federation. Maybe you could tell that to the Vedic Assembly, says Sisko. Hey, she says, maybe we could together. Sisko agrees. After the next Kai is named, he wouldn't want to appear to pick a favorite before the election. They pencil something in for next week. In her office, Kira gets a call from Odo. Kubus is about to leave Deep Space Nine on his way to Bajor. He's been granted sanctuary by Vedic Wynn. Kira puts a hold on Wynn's ship and heads down to Odo's to find out what happened. Orders to release Kubus came after a talk between Kubus and Wynn, and after Wynn used Odo's computer to look up info on Pryler Beck, another collaborator. In fact, Beck gave the Cardassians information about a group of freedom fighters in the Kendra Valley. Got them all killed, including Kaiopaka's son. He made a full confession in his suicide note. This exposition interrupted by Vedic Wynn, asking to speak to Kira privately. She says she would like to leave now. Kira says Wynn can go, but any ship carrying Kubus would need days or even weeks of checking out. You know, for security. So Wynn will play her next card. Kubus knows who is really behind the massacre at Kendra Valley. Beck was a pawn, ordered to reveal the location of the rebel base by his superior, Vedic Burial. Act 3. Anyway, that's what Kubis says. Kira says she can't believe it. Wen says she didn't say she believed it. She was going to run a quiet investigation when she got back to Bajor. Tell you what, though. You investigate it, says Wen. Also, next time, from now on, if you're smart, you'll lose the attitude when addressing me. Kira starts her investigation, quizzing Kubis. Kubis says Beck was very tense in the days leading up to his death. Then one day, he says, he saw Burial enter Beck's quarters. 
He stayed for a couple of hours. There was lots of yelling. Then the next day, Beck killed himself. Kubas figures Beck was working with Burial. Together, they revealed the location of the rebels. Beck wanted to confess, but Burial talked him into killing himself instead. Kira says there could be a thousand reasons Burial and Beck quarreled. Right, says Wynn. So find out why they did. Next stop, a video call with Burial. Yes, he did come to see Beck. No, he was not a collaborator. He can't say why he was there, though. He was a monk, speaking in confidence. Nothing he can tell Kira would satisfy Wynne's desire to topple Burial anyway. Fine, says Kira. She'll just keep looking. Next stop, Odo. Maybe he can look up Beck's communications records in the days leading up to his suicide. She knows Burial's no collaborator, but she's afraid he might be... She also tells Odo that she's in love with Burial, which seems to sort of shake Odo, though he tries to cover. No luck for Odo. On the communications, I mean. The Cardassians purged those records right before they left. Meanwhile, Bajor has the records, though access is denied. The records have been sealed by a Vedic. Act 4. Kira and Odo stop by Quark's. They're being nice, so he knows they want something. Oh, busted. They just want him to bypass the security seal, find out who sealed the communications records, and tell them. While they wait, Kira and Odo talk over Beck. Odo says he always seemed like a good person. Kira says good people don't betray their own people, though Odo says one thing he's learned about bipeds. When push comes to shove, they can do some pretty terrible things. Good news. Quark bypassed the security seal. Bad news. The messages they were looking for have been erased. So it's off to Chief O'Brien. Maybe he can tech the tech and find out something. He does. And it's not good. The person who erased the files? Vedic Burial. Act 5. Burial's watching the orb again. Beck accuses Burial of betraying him. He's making out with Vedic Wynn. She tells him he'll be rewarded. Kira stabs Burial in the gut. He falls into the arms of Kaiopaka as he dies. Seriously, the orb's going to rot his brain. Back in the real world, Kira's come to Bajor to see Burial. She's upset, having found out the truth. Why did he erase the records? She has no choice but to accept what seems evident, that Burial revealed the location of the rebels, that Burial is responsible for the death of Kaiopaka's son. Burial explains, the Cardassians were willing to kill 1,200 innocent Bajorans in the Kendra Valley to wipe out the rebels. Burial says he could not allow that. Kira's heartbroken. Now she has to tell when. Back on DS9, Wynne puts in a call to Kira to thank her. She seems confused that Kira hadn't contacted her already, but it doesn't matter. Wynne wanted to thank Kira because Burial has removed his name from the candidates for Kai. And Kira's heartbroken again. But none of this makes sense. Burial's an honorable man in her estimation. He wouldn't hide from the consequences of his actions by covering them up. She asks O'Brien to get her back into the Assembly archives, and apparently finds the true truth. Back on Bajor, she meets Kai Wynn. So, that happened. Oh, and tell Commander Sisko 
I have to postpone our appearance before the Vedic Assembly. Then Kira confronts Boreal with what she's learned. He wasn't the collaborator. He can't have revealed the location of the rebels. And Boreal confesses. What he said was true. The Cardassians would have killed over a thousand innocent people to get the small number of rebels. To stop that, Kai Opaka revealed the location of the rebels, sacrificing her own son to save hundreds and hundreds from slaughter. Boreal says he had to protect her. Of course, that meant pulling himself out of the running for Kai, which left the door wide open for Wynne. So, where will she lead Bajor? Bryle says wherever it is, she'll need their help, even if she doesn't know it yet. Bryle and Kira kiss. Then, hand in hand, they go to pay their respects to the new Kai. The end. See, everybody's happy in the end. Yeah, every, yeah, yeah, all's well. All's well. Eh, well. You, uh, you, you giggled a little about that, uh, the dream sequence with uh, Boreal kissing uh, Wynne. And, you know, just a, such a lovely, lovely moment of reconciliation. I didn't really giggle, I don't think. It was more like, uh, it was just a like, chortle? A, you know, kind of thing. That was his reaction, but I didn't want to go into the whole thing of like, oh, he's kissing Wynne, but it turns out he's, you know. Because it's dream imagery. I mean, yeah, honestly, yeah. dream imagery is so hard to do on film, on TV, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I'm reminded of uh, the episode of TNG with Data. Um, uh, oh, know. sure. He's got a raven and... Uh, and there's and a phone uh, ringing uh, inside his phone. chest. Yeah. And there mm-hmm. you know, miners, like, walking around, knocking out walls of the Enterprise. M-I-N. Mm-hmm. Not children, but people who mine. E-R-S, right? Not O-R-S. Yes, they all had beards. I think they were fully grown people. Dreams are dreams are just tough to they're tough to do without seeming I don't know over the top in a way and so then to explain every single thing that happened it's sort of like I yeah, just throw word salad which I mean it's kind of like image salad when they're doing dreams on TV anyway mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and and because it is TV it, it is literal like you're actually seeing the thing that happened uh, in the dream so it's a little a little weird yeah a little little hard to uh, to dramatize yeah hey uh look the more that we saw of uh, Prylar Beck uh, I thought for sure someone was going to call him a loser um <laughs> But look, I, I'm not going to go there. Making fun of him is not where it's at. I, I'll I'll stop now. This is a lost cause. Yeah, that, that's cute. You know why he wears that hoodie, don't you? What is that? Devil's haircut. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. I feel bad for him, though, following Brial so blindly. But, you know, uh-huh. everybody's got to learn sometime. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, dead weight and dreams. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> well I done. couldn't figure out how to Perfect. work those in. Although so much talk of dreams earlier. The problem is uh, there's a there's a word that we don't say on this show that comes right before that in the back mm. song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great song, yeah. though. I think that's my favorite back song, actually, Dreams. Oh, cool. In case you're wondering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, I'm worried that Briel is sitting too close to the orb. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that he's on it too much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do they have like a screen time feature? They should. Does it, you have used the orb now for 12 minutes. Uh, uh, that's up to 80 minutes a day. You need to scale back. Do the yeah. Bajorans have computers the way like, you know, DS9 has the computers or the Enterprise had computers? Because I kind of want Braille to be like, uh, turn on the orb and have the computer go, you know, you've been hitting the orb really hard lately. <laughs> Are you sure? Um, are the prophets actually talking through the orb, or does the orb induce a power nap that leads you to dreams? 
and this and this is kind kind of joking, but I'm also kind of serious. Like, is he in contact with the prophets every time he does that? Or is it just like a thing that excites something in the brain that tries to tell you what's going on in your life? Yeah, we're not really sure on that because the the closest we've gotten to the prophets so far has just been uh, Cisco's sort of uh, waking dream inside the wormhole. Yeah. And and that was that, that sort of, you know, time doesn't exist and, and the past is the present and you live here and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but but we knew that he was he was actually in there in an experience that that they were sort of experiencing with him. Um, so but, but the orb is just like a, a piece of that or a conduit to that. So we don't yeah we, we don't really know is it an interactive thing or is it just uh, like a little taste of what that experience is like uh, because it's tapped into whatever is already happening in his head. It's a good question. We got, uh, we got five more seasons to go to figure it out. It, well, it'd be, it would be a good thing to know. It'd be a good thing to figure out. I wonder if the writers actually knew or had decided already, because mm. if it's something that's happening, if it's something that's happening in your mind, then it's something you could access, whether you're sitting in front of the orb or not. If it's the yeah. prophets actually saying something, well, then it's like, it's literal uh, deus ex machina, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of yeah, get whatever you want out of it. Hey, uh, you know th- this is a uh, this is a sexier show than uh, than than TNG. I think in in total, you know, I, I think part of what makes it that way is that we're taking time with these characters. And you know, I said before, and I, I like how you mentioned it in the recap that uh, Barile he he's the cool minister. He's mm-hmm. he's like the the young guy who's hip and. Um, uh, he's the one who just wants to be your friend and and talk about the good things in his religion. Yeah, and, and that's cool. Um, but I think what's what's so fascinating here is that he has this public persona, but we've now seen him a few times, and the relationship with Kira has actually developed uh, a bit. So it's a very different thing to see them having, uh, I believe, as you said, adult time. Grown-up time, yeah. Yeah, it's a very different thing to to see that uh, where it's these sort of extended scenes that play into the characters as well, as opposed to just what we would get on TNG, it seems, where it's just like, okay, well, here here's the guest star this week. There might be a little bit of adult time, and then we'll never see them again. Uh, it, it's a very different dynamic here. Um, I, I don't really have much more to say beyond that, uh, other than it, it, it's, it, it is cool to see a little more adult take through DS9 than what we got on TNG, I feel. Well, I mean, it's more grown up in a way, but we haven't really explored their relationship much, have we? I mean, this is actually sort of the first time that we've really seen... Because, like, so there was the first time that she was all sort of weirded out, and then there was the time, the first time that they had grown up time, but he kept mm. talking all the way through the kissing, and there was other stuff going on anyway, right? Yep, yep. I mean, it's sort of interesting that, I mean, she seems really heartbroken by what's happening with him, and they also, they have a discussion, I mean, it's a 30-second discussion or less, but they have a discussion about, okay, so this weird thing has happened now, my fortunes have changed, you know a secret that's dangerous for you to know, how do we go forward, and they kiss mm-hmm. and they hold hands and then they go off and do a, a really unpleasant thing together. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's one of the benefits of uh, you know, having it be, you know, on a thing that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. At the yeah. same time, we had seven characters. We could always have written in more characters. They could have explored that 
in um, TNG and did not sure. for whatever reason. Unless you count, you know, Troy and Riker being like, what? I met a guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or I met a girl. And that could be either of those characters saying either uh, of yeah. those things and just be like, yeah, no, we're like totally grown up because we're like, we used to be a thing, but now we're not a thing. Don't worry. We're going to get married in the movies. It'll be fine. <laughs> It's too bad they didn't explore that even further with them. Hey, well, all right. So speaking of their relationship, though, what what do we make of uh, Odo's reaction to Kira being in love with Beryl? Um, what? No, we've actually had him. Uh, we've had him say before. I think it was when Dax and Odo were talking on like one of their shuttle trips. Right. Uh-huh. And and, you know, Dax said something about you should really make friends with people. And, and I think Odo says Major Kira is my friend or something along yeah. those lines, right? Yeah. He's shown an interest in her before, although honestly, I don't know if I would have picked up on it if I didn't know, uh, spoiler, that something <laughs> was going to happen between them. Right, right. I mean, it's a little bit funny just because uh, the other side of Odo is always like, uh, the humanoids are gross and <laughs> love is gross and uh, I never want to touch one of you humanoids at all. Um it's interesting to note that uh, Gary Holland, in uh, writing the stories, like I said, he got story and teleplay credit, but then that kind of goes away at a certain point as it gets rewritten. Um, he did not write that, and and he did not know that that moment was coming. So he got to watch the episode like we did, uh, not for a podcast, I assume, but he got to watch the episode. And then uh, there, there's the moment, but there's also the way the actor plays the moment. So um, he he was kind of uh, kind of surprised by that. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting and weird. That would be a strange yeah. thing, right? Like, hey, hey, everybody, come on. My show's going to be on. Yeah. And then you're like watching it. They're like, wow, well played there. And you'd yeah. be like, yeah. <laughs> Well, we just ask our friend Matthew Corey about that. I know. So he, yeah, we have yeah. actually. People can go back yeah. and listen to that. Uh, listen to that supplemental if they like. Indeed. Hey, uh, yeah. really quickly, I know you're probably sad that there was no food in this episode. Yes, yeah. I. You know, not a, a cup of tea at some point, or a ractagino, maybe, and, and that's really it. Yeah, it would yeah. have been cool. I, th- I thought I would just let you know. Uh, I had a quesadilla right before watching this one time, oh. so I'll, I'll tell you all about it in the break. Nice. have decided to throw my hat in the ring for the next Kai. I am considering slogans. Here is one. Vote Mission Log Computer. One of the good Kais. We'll get back to the collaborator in a moment, but first... But first, a word from ExpressVPN. The great thing about living in the future is our ability to take our computers, our tablets, our smartphones... I said tablets. I'm sorry. I should have said pads in the Star Trek parlance. The cool thing is we can take those things wherever we go and use them wherever we go. Portability plus ubiquity of Wi-Fi means we can do what we need to do wherever and whenever we are. But we need to be safe while we do it, which is why there's ExpressVPN. With ExpressVPN, the information you send and receive stays between you and the website to which you're connecting. That means bad guys won't get your banking info, and data brokers won't get more information about you to sell. Do you need to use a VPN at home? Well, probably not for the same reasons you do in a coffee shop, but I can tell you that I've been using ExpressVPN at home, and my speed has not taken a hit. In fact, things I've not been able to do running previous VPNs, 
I've had no problem doing with ExpressVPN. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than 7 bucks a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar, and it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep your info secure, ExpressVPN is the solution. And if you don't want to hand over your online history to your internet service provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the solution. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N, expressvpn.com slash mission log for three months free with a one-year package. Expressvpn.com slash mission log. And a big thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this week's show. So, in his talk with Kubus, Odo's sort of sanctimonious for a guy who misses cracking skulls like he could when DS9 was Tarek Noor, isn't he? I, I would agree with that. <laughs> he, he has this line, he says, the, the one thing I've learned about humanoids is that in extreme situations, even the best of you are capable of doing terrible things. Yeah. He says that to Kira. Yeah. And uh, two things about that. One... Uh, interesting that he says humanoids, because that's just anybody who walks on two legs and has yeah. two arms, you know? Yeah. So, sure, I don't know how many he's met. Uh, uh, all of them. He's met oh, all of okay. them. Okay. Okay. All of them. <laughs> right. um, clear, clearly meant to indicate humans, but Kira's not human. She's Bajoran. Right. Um, so, does anybody who walks on two legs. And, um, yeah, he he's a guy who... Uh, seems to not mind uh, bending rules and seems to not mind uh, uh, acting in extreme ways when it suits his purposes. It was just weird. There was another thing, too, where he said to um, where he said to Kubas, I guess it was. Um, yeah. Gul Dukat said you were his favorite Bajoran, which was obviously yeah. meant to make him feel bad. And it's like, well, Gul Dukat said you were his favorite changeling. I mean, yeah, I don't. Yeah. That's the part I don't get. I mean, he's. Maybe it's, uh, well, and, and it really, if any character should be gumbified, it would be Odo. <laughs> Maybe it's yes. just a gumbification that the, you know, the writers need to like, well, we need to, we need to have somebody who was there, who can talk about it, uh, but who can also take some sort of moral high ground. When I think it was like two episodes ago, Odo was like, you know, if you let me run things the way the Cardassians let me run things, you wouldn't have any problem right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Odo, they made a very clear point of that when we see flashbacks with Odo, that that he's a guy who was not taking sides, uh, but he would just work for wherever the work came, and he didn't care if, uh, not that much, he didn't care that much if he was working for the Cardassians um, to, to further their cause. So, yeah, it, it's, but, but look, you, you can't have Kira in that, position because Kira is the one who's doing the investigation here. So, yeah, yeah. you can't have yeah. anybody in that position, honestly, but they, you yeah, know, you put, really they put somebody yeah. there. So they put Odo. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this episode is one of those, um, I, I, we've talked about this before on, uh, certainly in TOS and, and occasionally in next gen where we have this kind of ultimate moral question, you know, do you, through your actions, in this case, allow dozens to die, or through your inactions, allow hundreds to die. And then how does that change when you know one of those people? We've talked about the, the train switching 
uh, a sort of moral exercise to, to wrap your head around. Well, you can throw the switch and it will kill the, this many people. You cannot throw the switch and it will kill this many people. So how do you choose to, to act? And then does that change if you know somebody on the other side of, uh, of where that train is going? And we don't pose those questions because we'll be faced with that exact dilemma, of course, we hope not, but, but rather because it's a way to explore our values and our own sense of morality. And um, there may be some moral absolutes at stake, uh, but do we still weigh those differently based on the conditions? So it's very interesting here with Kai Opaka, and I, and I think we're, we're definitely going to talk more about Kai Opaka here. Um, and certainly about Burial, but I, I'm just kind of curious about your quick take on uh, on Opaka and her decision to what she did. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's really my answer. I don't know. I mean, I kind of thought about it a little bit, although what this episode really seemed to um, concern itself with more is how you go forward after that or how somebody else goes forward after that, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's already happened. I mean, we can go back and think about, oh, what would you do in that situation? Well, it's already happened, though. This is not Picard trying to decide if he lets a planet, you know, blow up or something like that, or, you know, sure, Kirk yeah. trying to decide if he's going to kill the last salt monster. I mean, this this is, you know, wow, Kurt killed the last salt monster, you know, I mean, and, and so 10 years later, somebody's at Starfleet going, do we tell people that Kirk actually killed the last of a species or do we cover that up? And what does that mean at that point? Right. Yeah. Except it's different yeah. because it's more of a living thing that's going on. Um, I don't know. And that's I a mean, terrible thing to lose. Yeah. What, the last salt monster? No, the living thing. Oh, it's a terrible <laughs> Right. OK, thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm taking a dive. Um, here's the, I mean, Kyle Paca is a politician. Yeah. I mean, she is, she's a religious leader and we liked her when we met her the time or two that we met her, but she is a politician. So, I mean, she, she had options there. Um, I'm honestly, I get more caught up on the cover up. I mean, either decision that she made, it seems to me would have been fine. If a thousand people died, then you rally everybody around the fact that the Cardassians are so merciless and so terrible that they killed them all, figuring that the prophets would know their own, right? Mm. Or she could say, I had to do a terrible thing. I did this terrible thing to save all of these other things. It's, it's like everybody always says about Nixon, right? The crime wasn't the crime. The crime was the cover-up. And, yeah. and, and I'm sort of horrified in this episode, not so much by that question as I am by the fact that Burrell talked a guy into killing himself, yeah. So that so that so that um, so that Opaka's uh, uh, image could stay unblemished. I was I was fascinated by the part where Burial says he doesn't deserve to walk Opaka's path. First time I watched it, I thought, oh, he he doesn't feel worthy, right? Mm -hmm. But he's actually saying, look, she did this. I mean, he's not actually saying it. There are two ways to read that line. Either he could still feel unworthy. Or he could be like, look, she did a thing. I didn't do the thing. I don't deserve to do the time for the crime that she did. Right? Yeah. It's a possibility anyway. So I, I don't know the answer to your question. I think having a bully pulpit, which she would have, you could make the case for going either way. She certainly well, did the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. Yeah. 
unless the needs of the many were actually to have freedom fighters out there letting them know that there was still hope. So, I mean, maybe she chose correctly. Maybe she chose incorrectly. It's it's a really tough thing to say. Made more difficult by the fact that she could have rallied thousands of people around her with whatever decision she made if she had let them know that she actually made a decision. Well, it's a little unfair, uh, I think, the way that she is lauded in this episode to say, well, she was the only one who got us through that. She was the only one who could bring the Bajorans together. She was the only, you know, yeah, she's a great, uh, again, sort of quasi-political religious leader, however it is that that she's framed here. Um, But we, in the end, don't know how that would have played out if she had come clean and said, this is a terrible decision that had to be made under terrible circumstances. Uh, but it seems that Bajorans aren't necessarily forgiving of people who make terrible decisions under terrible circumstances. Right. Which, uh, you know, it's fair to an extent. I mean, look, we we are more forgiving of people because we like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kira was ready to condemn Kubis just flat out. Uh, and, and then she had her heart broken by Burial, but there's some reconciliation there to some extent because they like each other. Um, but then we just all sort of left with this thing. Well, we just have to accept Opaka's role in collaborating because she's Kaiopaka and everybody likes Kaiopaka. We can't not like Kaiopaka. Certainly compared to Wynn. <laughs> well, I mean, what if you found out, though, that like, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of a real world analog for us, and I can't really think of one. Like the mm-hmm. closest thing you might be able to come up with to think of one might be Reagan. And, you know, I tend to be a little bit, you know, uh, to the left. That'll come as a shock to a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, and so, so, I mean, a lot of people voted against Reagan. A lot of people voted for Reagan, but a lot of people mm-hmm. voted against. If you suddenly found out that Reagan was eating a puppy a day... Right. Mm-hmm. You might then there might be people who are big Reagan fans who are like, oh, I may, you know, I might have to question that now. You yeah. know what I mean, I, I'm yeah. trying to think of like what a real world analog would be, because here's the thing. Even if the truth about Opaka came out, you could make the case that she did. Um, she did right. I mean, yeah. you could also make the case that she did wrong. That's the thing. I do feel like it is also worth noting. Opaka is not dead. Yes, that that is a really important thing here. We yeah. could actually go and talk to Kai Hopaka about what she did. And I, and again, I say she could actually still be Kai, just either running messages back and forth through the wormhole or maybe setting up some sort of communication net between the wormhole. Um, we don't even need to we don't even need to do all this stuff. I mean, yeah. go ask her questions. Try not to die when you're there because you're going to be having a really long conversation <laughs> if you do. Right. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just, it's just kind of funny to me. Everybody's like, Oh, well, you know, Kyopak is gone. Yeah. She's just gone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> she, she's, she's over there. We got a wormhole and everything. Right. <laughs> it took us like 20 minutes to get where she ended up being trapped. We can do it again. Don't make us. <laughs> right. Hey, as long as we're, as long as we're talking about, um, Opaka's decision, um, yeah. you want to talk about Burial's decision? Sure. To keep the lie alive, to protect Opaka's reputation in her, you know, seemingly permanent absence. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And and that's kind of where I wanted to go with this. Um, I I mean, he's he's the good guy. Mm -hmm. But 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 is he too good here in this case? Is he keeping true to the letter 
of the, well, it's not a law, but it's keeping true to the letter of the principle here instead of the spirit. You know, uh, what would Opaka think of that? What, what would, how would Opaka react to the idea that somebody is keeping a lie alive for her? Um, it seems like there's this honorable thread of sacrifice and humility in the Bajoran religious tradition, uh, unless your name happens to be Wynn, but, but she's a special case. Um, so, yeah, to your point, should uh, Opaka be contacted? I, I would say yes. Should she uh, clear this up and take the fall? Well, maybe. You know, Bajor will continue. Now, it may continue for a brief time under this uh, uh, terrible influence of Kai Wen, but Bajor will continue. Um, but it seems like in the interest of uh, things like, oh, the principles of truth <laughs> and sacrifice, mm-hmm. then you do actually stand up and correct the record when given the chance, but nobody's giving her the chance. Um yeah, I, 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 you know, we, we, we tend to lump everyone together without seeing the, the shades of gray here. I think that's that's sort of what we're implicating here about the Bajorans uh, is that they would do the same thing um, and say, oh, well, you know, she she helped them out in this one time. Not not helped, but but she she had to make a terrible decision this one time. And if you look at Kira as any representation of how Bajorans would react, oh, well, you know, we just undermined everything that we stand for. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little hurt by Barail's decision here. You, you would think that he would, you would think that even if he felt like this disqualified him from being Kai. Yeah, that he would realize that the truth with a capital T in this matter is still more important and that he would hop on whatever the Bajoran equivalent is of the Internet and and uh, secure uh, the truth about Opaka dot com and start getting the word out. Remember, on election day, vote Mission Log Computer. The right Kai for the job. DS9 is the show. The Collaborator is the episode. Here's the part where we figure out if it holds up and we talk about the morals, messages, and meanings, but we also talk about what the title means. I'm Gosh, I'm I'm struggling with this one, Ken. Uh, the collaborator. Well, it should have been the collaborators. Yes, there we go. First and but foremost, they didn't, to, they didn't want to tip their hand, though. I guess not. But yeah, they could have called it the cabal. At <laughs> the that cabal point, of yeah. collaborator. Yeah, no, I think I think they called it the collaborator because it had to do with a uh, with a collaborator. You just got everybody covering up for everybody else, and the the collaborator who is really that main collaborator is the one we did not expect. That's true. You didn't see that coming in a long time. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's dead. It, she's what? not. She's not dead. No. <laughs> she's not. No. Yeah. In fact, if you play Star Trek Online, uh, she's back. You, what? You know that? Yeah. Well, she came back and then she went away again. I think. But yeah. Huh. I told you about that. No, whatever. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, you did. You did. Yes. Yes. Because I got the same actress and everything. They're really good about that. The right. People at Cryptic Studios are really good about getting the um, about getting the stars uh, of the past. Uh, the the mm-hmm. ones that tend to give them the hardest time, it turns out, are the captains. 
Mm. Like there's no Avery mm. Brooks. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, there's no Patrick Stewart. Uh, there is of course no, uh, no um, Shatner, but yeah. there are lots well, of other people. Ca- captains have a lot to do. You know, they, they're, they, they're they very captain things to do. They're very busy men and women. Yes. Oh, women. I'm sorry, because there's discovery women. as well. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. The Columbia. Yeah. Don't forget about that. Well, that too. Right. All right. So uh, how do we feel about this episode uh, from a production point of view? Does the episode hold up? Uh, from a production point of view? Yeah, it's fine. I thought it was, um, it, it was, I remember the last time that Brile was there, I did not like uh, sort of their adult time because they kept mm. talking through the kiss and all that stuff. You said this is a sexier show. It felt like a more well-realized uh, relationship. Honestly, it almost feels like a better relationship than Keiko and Miles. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it felt like a more grown-up relationship. It was less tropey. Yeah. Everything feels like a more grown-up relationship than Keiko and Miles. Yeah, although you could argue, except for that last scene where they, you know, where they had come to a place where they, there was a misunderstanding, and then they were able mm. to talk it out, and then they were able to decide to go and work it together. Uh, the rest of the time, you could say it was DS9's Red Shoe Diaries, in a way. I mean, it was mm. really just like, mm. it really was just adult time, right? Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I, I like that part of it. I can't stand now Kai Wen. Yeah. Um, I love Louise Fletcher. I mean, she is so good in that role. Um, so, yeah, you know, dream sequences are always tough, and there were quite a few of them in this episode, but it was fine. Yeah. I mean, uh, production-wise, I think the episode's great. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I think it holds up really nicely. Um, you, you know, I, it, it's expertly performed expertly produced i I want to reach through the tv and shake when uh she's such a great villain because she's almost too real Mm -hmm. you know um and uh, nobody is more condescending in the star trek universe um i I love uh uh vedic barile saying oh but but the prophet's love is unconditional when she's telling these kids that they need to honor the prophets and she goes oh it's it's you know so easily misinterpreted i just can't keep up with how many softly delivered antagonistic condescending things when has to say um it's genius that so much can be said with so little um and and clearly uh ira and robert hewitt wolf and michael pillar and everybody made a good call to keep developing her as the villain mm-hmm. it, it, it's like i said it's almost too real as a villain sure you can have klingons and romulans coming at you and blowing things up but when you look at somebody who clearly does things that are wrong but keeps slipping by because they can um it uh, you, you just look at that and you go yeah i i, I could see that happening in the real world um you know, but what's interesting, though, is that for once, the problems aren't ours. And there's very little Cisco in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the problems are Bajoran. So, so the all too real mess of politics and religion and backstabbing, it's a Bajoran thing. And this is cool to see Star Trek do this again, where you take a complex problem, put it into an alien situation where we get to take a step back from it. Now, what we might be asking is, okay, what is the Federation's responsibility here? Where is the moral guiding principle to hopefully help people out of this morass that they're in? Uh, but it's interesting to see things play out in this uh, in this alien context. Um, 
I also like that there are some interesting historical parallels uh, happening here. My mind immediately goes to World War II, again, with the Vichy government being represented by the Bajoran government during the uh, Cardassian occupation. And uh, and there are interesting questions here about uh, collaboration and, and to what extent uh, the, the motivation is simply self-preservation. Uh, so some interesting questions here, but it might have dipped in a little bit here to the uh, morals, meanings, messages part. Uh, anything there that you see as uh, particularly strong? No, no, no. Okay. But I mean, that's not that's not what Deep Space Nine tries to do. That's mm-hmm. what everybody tells me over and over again. And it's true. <laughs> that's not what Deep Space Nine tries to do. Um, yeah. What I find myself doing more and more is questioning the decisions of the writers, not of the characters. So, like, they were going to have Brile be the good guy. I kind of wish. I kind of wish I didn't know that. I kind of wish you hadn't told me that because um, mm. I know Deep Space Nine is going to be dark. And so, when it goes dark, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, it's Deep Space Nine. It's going to be dark. And when you tell me they were like, well, you know, they really were. They were thinking about having him be the good guy. They were thinking about having the good guy win. But you know, they could figure out how to how to write bad i don't mean write poorly i mean they could figure out how to write bad they could figure out how to write themselves further into darkness and to hear you say they thought about letting good win and then realize but you know it's deep space nine (laughs) it's kind of that that part's a tiny bit that part's a tiny bit disappointing and i wish i didn't know it um yeah but see i I don't look at it that way i mean for for every episode of star trek ever mm -hmm. um there, for the necessity of drama, there has had to be a foil. Sometimes that foil is misunderstood. Sometimes that foil is straight out evil. Sometimes that foil is uh, a combination of the above, you know, mm-hmm. the e- evil that is driven by misunderstanding or something like that. So as DS9 comes along and for every plan that may be laid out, sometimes you end up with these surprises where, oh, we got an actor who can play this. Let's keep writing to that strength. Um, I think what they realized is, well, we could end this arc by ending it with Beryl in charge. Bejor will, will flourish and be fine. But we're also telling the story of what happens maybe when political things don't play out that well. And we need, we need a foil. Why not go with the foil that gets to play a, a a different level than say a Borg queen showing up or a con type character showing up or a a, a Klingon showing up again. So I, I, I like this decision. Hmm. Not not because I felt like they're playing dark because they need to play dark, but because, well, we have a, a very complex foil here mm-hmm. and, and a complex foil that can actually speak to maybe some contemporary uh, political or, or social concerns. So, yeah, we, we could end the arc or we could keep that arc going. See, here's the problem that I have with what you're saying, though. I mean, uh, the foil won. In this one, right? I mean, you know, Reagan had Tip O'Neill, um, Clinton had Gingrich, uh, uh, Obama had um, uh, McConnell, uh, mm-hmm. Trump has Schumer and Pelosi. I mean, mm-hmm. the person who wins always has a foil. You could have had Burial win and still had uh, Vedic win. They're screwing everything up. You don't have to lose her to do that. I, I, I think... 
and the, when you talk about the morality of it, I mean, so 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 Barail protected Kaiopaka's image, and the only way he knew he could protect Kaiopaka's image was by taking himself out of the running, which he had to know would put Vedekwin in power. Right. Yeah. So so what so what are we saying at that point? Yeah, <laughs> that the good guys don't always win because there may be dirty tricks at play. But but okay, again, it's Star Trek. It's metaphor, and in this case, we're putting this in this alien culture. So you hope that sort of the uh, the the Earth values, the Federation values, the Starfleet values, can take uh, a, a dispassionate look at that. You know, like like I said, we we lose Cisco in this episode. We don't, so we don't have a lot of that outside perspective. What what we hope is the moral guiding perspective here, but we get to set up this situation that is really unfortunate for, for all Bajorans, <laughs> really unfortunate. Really quickly. And it didn't even occur to me to ask you this earlier. What, mm-hmm. what do you make of Cisco? What do you think of Starfleet? What do you make of the Federation sort of pulling themselves out of this whole thing? I mean, obviously the Federation has a way that it would like to see it go. Mm-hmm. Prime directive doesn't apply. Because they're a warp-faring society, or even if they're not warp-faring, we've decided we're going to bring them into the Federation anyway. Yeah. Why would the Federation not put a thumb on the scale? Yeah, but the Federation can't show up and say, nope, you need to do your politics like this. No, they don't show up and say, nope, you need to do your politics like this. But if Cisco is seen, you know, with his arm around Burial, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and not so much with his arm around uh, Vedic Wynn, I mean, is that... <sighs> Is the Federation right to stay out of this, or is or is Cisco right to stay out of this one, or or should he have actually gotten a tiny bit more involved? Yeah, no, I I I, I would understand and and support the decision to stay out of it to the extent that he did, because given the information that he had, he thought that he was doing the right thing. Given the information that it's a shoe in for Barile to win, but okay, well we didn't account mm. for the dirty tricks, so. Now we got to clean up that mess, or at least help the people who can clean up that mess. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Hey, if you want to check out some other really cool stuff that Roddenberry is doing, podcast.roddenberry.com is the place to go. You'll find our show, you'll find Mission Log Live, but you'll also find Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files podcast.roddenberry.com If you'd like to help support Mission Log directly, that'd be neat. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. For even more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's at trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com Next week, Tribunal. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I am working on a campaign song now. It is between Kai Yellow Ribbon and Live and Let Kai. transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com
the Roddenberry Podcast Network.